the 20th of May, 2022. If you have not heard about the FIRE movement, listen up. It's a growing movement among millennials to save up and call it a career in the 30s or 40s. From news.com.au. I'm Andrew Buckalo, and I've got news for you. Retiring by the time you're 35, I mean, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But a growing number of young people in Australia who are earning average wages are planning to do exactly that. In today's episode, we'll chat to one of them to find out how they're going to do it and how much money they'll have to live off each year for the rest of their life. They're also going to answer the big question, what exactly are they going to do with all that spare time? We'll be back in a moment. is a 30-year-old from New South Wales who lives with her husband and their young son and she plans to retire when she is 35 years old. She joins me now to tell us how she plans to do it. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. I've got news for you. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Okay, so why is it you want to retire when you're 35? Um, well, I've always been surrounded by people who have worked really hard until old age and I just thought that wasn't... I think I always thought that wasn't very appealing. I didn't want to spend my life doing that. I think... You know, in many ways, I've always sort of had good nows that life was more than just being at a desk or under the thumb of a boss. And I've always been a bit of a free bird. So I think the seeds were sown from a very young age for me. So you and your husband follow a movement called FIRE. That stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. When did you first hear about the FIRE movement? Uh, About seven or maybe even eight years ago, through a friend, I found the leader of the movement's blog, who is called Mr Money Moustache. I would encourage anyone to go check it out because it's actually just a fantastic resource. Um, I was completely hooked. I think it sent me down the rabbit hole of learning all about it. And I think the key thing for me was that the ethos of the lifestyle being, you know, people who who really didn't want to work to live just really appealed to me. Um, And these were people for whatever reason, you know, family tragedy or burnout, redundancy, personal illness, desire to travel. These people fundamentally believe that they could still live a great, meaningful life where their income wasn't derived from an employer. And I think that's where it started. All right, let's get down to the nitty gritty. In the simplest way possible, Michelle, can you explain how FIRE actually works? Sure. So in a nutshell, um, you save and invest as much as you can into diversified asset classes. So think things like property, shares and super. You keep doing it regularly and consistently and you let inflation and compounding interest start to work its magic. And so what happens is your assets grow to a value that they start generating you income and this eventually um, meets or, or you know even surpasses, given the low wage growth we've had in the last decade, the income that you would receive from a traditional um, Uh, wage or salary so you can give work up. Okay, so basically you save as much money as you can now, you start investing it, then when it gets to a point where it's generating enough of its own income from interest, you simply live off that interest and you don't have to work anymore. Yeah, so you ideally try and invest in what's called two-dimensional assets, so they're ones that grow in in their value, but they also have an income component attached to them. So their property would be things like rental yield and then shares would be things like dividends. Super pays an income as well. Okay. So how much of your annual income do you and your husband invest at the moment? So right now we're investing about 40 to 50%. Um, and that's only because we're doing some major renovations to our house and we're cash flowing them. Um, but normally we invest about 75 to 80% of our income. 
Wow. So does investing so much of your income mean that you can't afford to splurge on luxuries or go overseas for holidays or go out for fancy dinners? No, not at all. You know, we just came back from a holiday to Queensland. We're going to Europe again next year. Um, We've worked really hard to align our spending to things that we enjoy, you know, eating out and and travelling are two of those things. And yes, of course, we do find ways to be thrifty where we can through things like point hacking and deals. Um, But I don't think that we go without anything in pursuit of retiring early. I think what we have foregone on are expenses that were... uh, mindless purchases, lots of online shopping, big ticket gadgets, convenience purchases, because everything was about convenience back then. Um, And so the savings come for us now because our spending is aligned with what we really enjoy and have thought about. And I think a lot of people um, who have been on this movement have been surprised to find out what they they really spend. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, So you've obviously got a goal in mind. What does the value of your investments need to be before you guys can retire? So a lot of fire proponents aim to have 25 times their annual expenses in their investment portfolio. So they figure out what they need to live off realistically, which might be, um, say, $50,000 a year, and they multiply this by 25, which means they need to have one and a quarter million dollars invested. And so given that history shows 7% is a very conservative return across an investment portfolio that's made up of those sorts of investments, it's very common to hear early retirees spending no more than 4% of that 7% annual return so that they're given a little bit of leeway for things that impact their profit like tax without ever touching that principal amount. So it it continues to grow with inflation. Um, $50,000 is just an example. Of course, it's called lean fire. Some will invest more because they want to live more lavishly. They can afford to. This is called fat fire. So that can be, you know, 100 grand a year, 120, 150 grand a year. It's really up to the individual. Obviously, some believe in it's called, I think it's FIRO, retire, financial independence, retire, optional, work optional, I can't remember, but you work some of the time, maybe half the week and then the other half the week you don't work. But our number per year is 80000 which means that we need to have at least $2 million invested. Okay, so once you have $2 million invested, the interest that you'll be able to get each year and live off is $80,000 for you, your husband and your son. Yeah, the, the income that we would derive from that is a, a, following that 4% rule is $80,000 per year. Retiring early sounds great, doesn't it? But what exactly are you meant to do with all that spare time? Well, Michelle is going to answer that question in just a moment. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winder? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. I'm chatting to Michelle Ives, who's planning to retire in five years by the time she's 35. Michelle, you've said that you and your partner can give up work when you have $2 million invested. So that should mean that you'll have a passive income of about $80,000 a year for all three of you to live off. Can I ask, do you have to take into account things like inflation and emergencies that could pop up in the future and will therefore eat up a fair chunk of your 80 grand a year? Yeah, that's a really good question, Andrew. Um, 
the, the asset that I was talking about are two-dimensional assets, so what I, what I mentioned earlier. So they're assets that not only grow in, in value with inflation, but also provide an income stream just by sheer virtue of the fact that you hold them. So they're things like property, which grow in value, far exceeding inflation and provide rental income, shares, which again grow in value. They, of course, experience short-term falls in major economic events, but historically they always recover well. And they provide income through dividends, which are usually quarterly payouts of profits that are distributed to all shareholders. Um, Super is another one. But if I had all my money tied up into a bank account with a feeble interest rates, then yes, I would be worried about that. But I don't because my investments are growing with inflation, which means that inflation isn't impacting them in terms of taking a hit on the investment itself. And then in terms of expensive events, of course, you can't predict the future, but you can buffer the impact. So we have a number of well-considered insurance policies, not just things like homes and cars and landlord insurance, but also us. So things like income protection insurance and total permanent disability insurance. And I think in a worst case scenario, we sell down some assets to provide a lump sum of cash. And if an expensive event crops up and they have you know we're currently replacing our roof which is upwards of 25 30 grand um we're not immune to them and i personally i think it's much more ideal to be in a situation where you have the money to pay for it than not and how are you going you on track to hit this target by the time you're 35 we are yes oh congratulations (laughs) uh well i guess the next question michelle is what do you plan to do in retirement with all that spare time well i think i mean I, i started a business about five years ago and i've been really enjoying working for myself. So I think um, the plans have changed slightly and that I'll, I'll work some of the year um, and then uh, not work for the rest of it. But then otherwise it's doing things that we love to do, like potter around the garden and travel and spend time with our beautiful toddler who will be a little bit older then, but still I'm sure no less work. Um, <laughs> yeah, just hang out and enjoy life. Are you worried at all about being bored? No, no, I'm not. I mean, look, I obviously work at the moment, but I've already started to cut back more and more. So I spend less and less time in the week working. And it's the most valuable time that I have. It's actually the highlight of my week, to be completely honest with you. So no, I don't worry that I'll be bored. And as I said, having a business means that I can always dip back in when I want to. And I also feel and find purpose in a lot of other things in life that are external to working. So no, I'm not worried about that. And I think it's important to stress that it's not like you guys were handed down a nest egg from your parents or anything like that. You've done all of this off your own bat and you have jobs that are paying fairly average but just above average incomes. Is that right? That is right, yeah. And thank you for flagging that, Andrew. Much appreciated. Yes, our common criticism is that we've been given some great hefty inheritance and no, that's not the case. Neither of our parents support us in any capacity. Uh, So what are your top tips for people who are just learning about the FIRE movement through this interview and want to learn more? Uh, I think, you know, start combing back your budget, looking at where you can free up money to invest. If that's not possible, look at where you might be able to create additional income in your life. If that's not possible, look at ways that you can make your money or your setup work harder for you because it really is all about making your money work for you rather than you working for your money. So, for example, if you have a mortgage and some savings already, can you set up an offset account so that the interest on your mortgage is offset against the savings that you already have, you know, therefore paying less interest and paying down your mortgage faster or even a redraw facility. Those little hacks can make a really big difference to the end goal, I think. So Michelle is someone who's working towards retiring early, but in just a moment, we'll meet a man who's already done it and find out why he's already made the decision to return to work. 
I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts. Joining me now is a man named Ivan from New South Wales who actually retired when he was in his 30s. Ivan, thanks so much for joining us on I've Got News For You. How many years did it take you to save and invest enough to retire? It took me um, a few years, about at least minimum 10 years before I was comfortable that I could actually retire. I did start very early as well. And uh, it was uh, last year when I, just before I turned 38, when I decided to stop working far out. So what did you do with your retirement? Um, It didn't last long. Well, I got stuck in New Zealand uh, during that time. So what happened there was, uh, it was during May uh, and the Trans-Tasman bubble just opened. And I thought, look, I don't necessarily need to think about work anymore. It's really one of those, you know, everyone was self-reflective and thinking about what's important in life. And I really missed my nephew uh, and my niece. And I wanted to make sure that I spent um, at least a moment every year with them. So I just uh, phoned up my boss and said, I'm quitting without any backup plan and booked that one-way flight um, to, to visit my niece and nephew. And so had you made the decision not to return to work at all in the future? Yeah, at that time, I thought, look, I've got enough savings to be able to go through life until uh, where it takes me, really. So uh, it's really financial independence. That's what, that's what it really is. And to achieve that for myself, I had to work backwards. I you know, thought about when do I actually think that I would, um, you know, uh, how long will my life last? And working backwards, how many years do I need to live, right? From when I started in my 20s. And I started working towards that goal. And that's really one of my motivating factors in budgeting my life, essentially. But uh, I did grow up in an environment where budgeting is is a a thing. (laughs) Because my sister, for example, and my mother, both accountants. And from a personal perspective, I'm kind of one of those people that constantly look for sources of income. So I do have multiple sources of income. And I have um, constantly having a budget, even when I'm during retirement, especially during when I was retired. Um, and not working and not even thinking about future work at all. That's when the budget was actually more most important. So what was it about retirement that you decided to go back to work? Did you not like it? <laughs> no, look, I loved retirement. It gave me time even further to reflect. So at that time, I was asking myself, what's important to me? What makes me get up in the morning? So that's really what made me stop working altogether and go, look, uh, you know, I've got a niece and nephew. I want to spend as much time with them as possible. I don't need to work. I'm not going to think about work at all and just spend my time in New Zealand for the immediate future. And, you know, things happen. 
especially during the pandemic. And that evolved to become, what can I do that's more meaningful? Um, I can't just be playing Pokemon Go every day, right? So you need, you need, you need something that would, uh, again, it's important to have that something that gets you up in the morning. And that for me, it took a while and a lot of conversations with my partner about what can I actually do? What, what do I actually want to do? I love my work. Why did I quit it? You know, it, it does add value to my everyday. And more than that, work, it's got a lot of perks. You know, if you're out of work and you're a socialite, basically there's no perks in that. There's less influence. You're always, always constantly looking for something to keep you busy. And even dad, who's also retired, actually asked me, what do I do with my time? So he probably asked that because he doesn't know what else he he can do apart from gardening or playing golf. So I was in that same boat thinking constantly about what else can I do? Uh, Where can I add value in society at large? Uh, And I think it really made me reflect on the importance of work and my place in society. And that's what really got me to go back to work. <laughs> well, that's great that you've you've seen that, you've seen the light and you've decided to go back to work, but obviously you don't didn't have to if you didn't want to. Um, do you have any advice for other young people who are thinking of retiring early? Sure. Uh, don't do it during a lockdown because you can't travel. <laughs> <laughs> you need to know what you're going to be doing with your time. It's really important to have those goals. That's probably one of the things if I was to tell myself before I retired, to have a plan when you're actually retired, because I've been planning to retire for God knows how long and did not realize that I haven't really planned what I will do once I get there. So that's important. And also that um, budgeting doesn't stop. It just keeps going. You need to know what comes in and out, uh, in your um, bank accounts and what what you're using your credit cards for, etc. And you really have to be savvy about that. Well, a very big thank you to both of my guests today. Now, if you want to check out Michelle's blog, she's got heaps of information about the FIRE movement and her journey. All you got to do is head to thatgirlonfire.com. Thanks so much for listening to I've Got News For You and I'll speak to you again later. Are you ready to get an inside look at crime from someone who has investigated some of Australia's worst crimes? It was like Aladdin's cave. The luminol found bloodied footprints and bloodied handprints on a wall. So it's just like a horror movie. Former homicide detective Gary Jubilant sits down with cops, crims, addicts, victims, small-time cheats, and big-town lawyers as they tell their incredible stories. My house got raided. Next thing you know, I got bail refused. Next thing you know, I'm on a truck to Parkley Prison. Listen to I Catch Killers early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts.